When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone. Today I'm speaking with Eben Sandal. Eben comes from Denmark and is an internationally acknowledged public speaker, psychotherapist, and best-selling author of The Danish Way of Parenting. She's also an educator who wants to offer parents an alternative to high-stress modern parenting, equipping them with tools and knowledge to raise confident, happy children. The Danish Way of Parenting was a book I read years ago that really stuck with me. There are takeaways within each chapter that I reread frequently to remind myself of their importance, and we will discuss some of those within today's episode. Without further ado, here's Eben. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Today's show is also sponsored by Cerebelli. Cerebelli was founded by neurosurgeon Teresa Persner. You can hear all about the story that inspired the brand within the episode we recorded together about six months ago. After becoming a neurosurgeon, Teresa went back to school to earn her PhD in developmental neurobiology at Stanford. After having her three children, she was having a hard time finding baby food that focused on the proper nutrients needed for the developing brain. And thus, Cerebelli was born. Did you know that 80% of a baby's brain is fully developed by the age of three? Cerebelli is the only brand of organic purees that provide 16 key brain-supporting nutrients. Let your baby explore veggie-first, clean-label project certified flavors with no added sugar and spoonfuls of nutrients with Cerebelli. Parenting is an art. Cerebelli is science. And you know how much I love science. My kids also enjoy their smart bars, which are great for a quick, nutrient-packed snack for on-the-go. Today's listeners can get up to 35% off your first order of Cerebelli with code LINZY20, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y 20, plus an additional 15% off when you subscribe and save. Hello, Eben. I'm excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So as I was mentioning to you before we started recording, I read your book. Well, you co-authored a book and it's called The Danish Way of Parenting. And I read this book a few years ago, took it out in preparation for this interview. And I have all these spots highlighted throughout. And I was just writing down you know, the the take-homes from that book. And it really truly is a, a very fast read. And I feel like the way that you both wrote it is so, it's easy to apply what you've mentioned within the book to your own life. It doesn't feel overwhelming, at least to me. And it's one of those books I was saying to you that I almost feel like I need to read every few months to kind of refresh my brain because here in America, I do feel like kind of the way that we live is a lot more stressful and fast paced compared to, especially in Denmark, just the Danish way of living is just much, much different. 
And I had told you my cousin had moved to Denmark a few years ago, and he can attest to that because having lived in America his whole life and now living there, he sees a remarkable difference in so many different ways, but especially for parenting. And he's not a parent yet, but he said that when and if he does get married and have kids, he he wants to stay there because he loves the way that children are raised there. And you can just kind of see it even when you're out. He's like, even when we're out walking or on the playground, you can just tell that the way that they're being brought up is different. So I'm excited to talk with you about all of the different things you spoke about in your book. And I love how it's very research-based. You mentioned so many different studies within the book, which I really loved. Obviously, being somebody in the medical field, I, I really flocked that. I love reading about well, this is why we want to do this because it's supported by this research. So that's really great too. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Thank you for for saying all those positive things. Um, I mean, I have I haven't lived in in the states, so I can't really tell how it is there. I I have learned a lot during the years after writing this book about the differences, the cultural differences. And and we surely in Denmark have has uh, our internal matters to deal with as well. So it's not a utopia here, and not at all. And I I do work with people and families every day who who struggles with life. But I truly believe that that we are all raised with some core values that that makes us um, stand on a a solid foundation. Uh, Yeah, that makes us maybe, I don't know, better equipped for a happy life. Now, you, I would love to hear about how you decided to write this book with, it's Jessica, right? The the Mm co-author of the book. What made you want to write this book with her? Well, uh, year after year, you know, the International Happiness Report came out. And each time Denmark was voted the happiest country in the world. And there have been so many explanations for this, but nobody has ever turned their attention to our parenting style. Mm-hmm. And I have always thought that it was strange. I mean, I have worked with children for more than, I think, 25 years. So it was clear to me that the way we are brought up means a lot. And I mean, mm-hmm. goes for all of us. Uh, and we all wherever we live have that in common, that that the norms and discourses, the values uh, from our culture, it uh, it affects us a lot. So after a joint talk with uh, Jessica in, back in 2014, so we decided to make use of this knowledge. She was raised in, in America and... Mm-hmm. Uh, she has well. She has never lived in Denmark at all, but she um, she found it very interesting as well. And uh, she she was watching how I raised my girls. So we put two and two together, and the idea of the book came to fruition. And I believe that the book is not just a book about how you know the happiest people in the world raise happy children. To me, it is also a way of living. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as I mentioned to you before, I, I think it's, it's an amazing book. And I think honestly, <laughs> out of, I've read quite a few parenting books and I, I don't think any of them quite help have helped me as much as, as this particular book only because this is truly how I wish to raise my children. I kind of look back onto my childhood and, you know, even though it was only I mean, I'm going to be 37, but I distinctly remember spending my entire days and nights just playing outdoors. I mean, we would build forts, we would build, you know, little towns, we would create these gymnastics routines outside, we would invite the neighbors to come watch, we would, we were very connected in with our neighborhood and our community and with nature and being outside and I think what kind of pulled me towards this way of parenting was originally just my attachment to how I grew up as a child. And I felt like my mother did such a great job 
just letting me be a kid. I mean, I, she would be like, just come back when it's dark out, you know, like there was no parent to be constantly telling me what to do, how to behave, what was dangerous, what wasn't. I mean, I look back and it's not like we were doing anything too crazy, but I mean, things that I look back now and I'm like, oh gosh, like if my kid was doing that, I would be so nervous. Like my friend had a playground and we'd be walking on the very tippity top of the playground, like as a balance beam, you know? And I think about that now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but I feel like that way of growing up is just the best possible way to grow up. You, you learn, as you mentioned in the book too, you know, you can't really learn about what your, what your limit is as a child, unless you're able to kind of discover that on your own. And you can't really do that when you have a parent kind of hovering over you. And I think that's been really hard for me as a mom of four, just I try really hard to to not hover and just let them discover things on their own as long as it's not, you know, too dangerous or going to be, you know, detrimental to somebody else or something like that. But I really want to give them, you know, the space to to learn and grow. But that's just why I've I've really, really loved this book because it talked so much about that. And it does remind me very much of my childhood, mm-hmm. which I think has changed very drastically to how our kids are growing up now with you know, the internet. And of course, just being really, it's this false connectivity online. And mm-hmm. wh- where they really need to be is, you know, with others outdoors and things like that. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you uh, so much. It's well, time has changed uh, in so many areas. So it's not the same if our children who grow up today than it was when we were kids. But uh, one of the things that I'm often just wondering about is how we how we um, implicit uh, pass on messages to our children uh, when we uh, say to them, "Be careful! Don't do this! Don't do that! Uh, it's dangerous, and you can get hurt." So there are so many, you know, subtle uh, messages that we pass on to them that we don't trust in them. Mm-hmm. Because we don't trust that they can manage what they're doing, or they can, or that there's a risk which they cannot live up to, they cannot uh, manage. So this is one aspect that I'm much aware of that we don't really think about it in the language we use. That uh, that if you're told all the time, be careful. That is the same as you cannot. You cannot do it. You cannot fix it. So what are we teaching our children that we don't believe in them, that that we do not believe in their skills or mm-hmm. that they can master life? So um, I just wanted to, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I was just reminded of, of that when you uh, said, uh, when you told me about how it was to be a kid then, because I had the same childhood. I mean, we were just able to to um, play freely and and no one told me what, that I should be careful because they knew that we would find a way out and I, I'm sure that um, that taught me a lot about to master life to master challenges in life and to solve problems and to understand uh, other uh, people and to compromise all those things that that, uh, for example, play can. And another thing uh, I was also reminded about is uh, the importance of, I call it, uh, well, it's called the zone of proximal development. So we have to be aware of putting our children in boxes where they sit in front of a screen or they go to adult activities. And so we are very much in control of what is going on. But we need to, you know, look for their initiatives so we can better understand where their next step for their development is because those tips or those clues to us are found in being aware of if they for example say hey can i go pick up uh, a milk or can i can i go for uh, a walk with a dog or uh, do we want me to uh, dance for you whatever it can be that all those small initiatives are clues to us that they are trying to master something, maybe something new. They want to 
to feel that they can actually do. So basically, if if our children are saying, you know, hey, mom, I I would really love to. So for example, actually, my eight-year-old had said to me the other day, it was dark out and she wanted to walk her friend back home, which was down the street, but, you know, quite a, quite a ways. And so she'd be walking back by herself. And she was like, you know, mom, I think I'm old enough to do this. So that's kind of what you're saying is like, you know, your child is trying to tell you something, they're ready to do this and kind of giving them that freedom to show us what they're, what they're made of, what they, what they can actually accomplish. Right. Exactly. And, and she doesn't have to, to know uh, that, uh, that you're looking (laughs) after, uh, you know, coming back, but uh, you'll just say, yeah, that's a good idea, you know, and, and back it up. Yeah. So do you have any suggestions for, you know, I'm just thinking of, let's see, say you see your child doing something that, so I think it's hard for me in particular because I work in the emergency room. My husband works in the emergency room. And so we see the worst of everything. (laughs) So you know what I mean? So we see the worst of the trampoline accidents. We see the worst of, you know, so it can be really hard for us to not react constantly if we do see them doing something that we know how it could end up, even though it's very rare, is there, you know, a way of phrasing it that can let the child still know that they're in control, but that we want them to be more mindful of what they might be doing? Is there a better way to be phrasing it than, you know, be careful or, you know, I don't really want you doing that. Is there a different way to be phrasing that? Mm, well, I would say at first I would try to not say anything because it, it has more to do with you than your child. Right. So, so because you have all the knowledge you have, but it doesn't really do any good for your child knowing all the risks mm-hmm. because they will find out if it happens. So you will just need to stay close and be ready to, you know, grab them if they fall or... Or, or, or show care and consideration to them if they cry. I would, I think, I would start with, uh, you know, a more positive uh, way instead of you know the bad things that can happen. So, so I believe you can do it. Are you? Do you feel uh, confident? I don't think that I would put up all the risk. I can only say how I would do. Instead of so, uh, I remember when my daughter, my uh, oldest daughter, she was very little, and she started, uh, how do you say, the climbing, uh, cli- climbing on um, on our yeah on our steps st- stairs at home, mm-hmm. and my mother-in-law she was like, oh, be careful, be careful, and all the time I was like, no, 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 don't say anything like that, so because you put you put a, a, a how do you say a worry a worry into her yes uh, yes so it starts to be insecure instead of because she was doing fine and she was confident crawling uh, right. and climbing up and, and and as soon as she said that she was like oh i didn't mm. know it was uh, scary and then she started to feel insecure so i think that is what we're doing if we're telling them all the time be careful oh i didn't know it was uh, difficult i didn't know if it if it was scary or whatever it can be so and why why put that into them because we want to feel more safe do you know mm-hmm. what i mean no i yeah i i know exactly what you mean yeah i also liked in the book how you mentioned many times you know kind of reflecting it back as an adult how would you feel if you heard this being said to you So the same thing would apply, right? Like, so I'm currently learning how to ski. And, you know, if someone were were to say to me, as I'm going down the mountain, oh, be careful. Oh, there's ice. Oh, you know, and just kind of, you know what I mean? Like this little, like this little person on my shoulder, I'd be like falling all over the place, right? Exactly. Yeah. No confidence. And so, I mean it, and, and when you put it in that way, it completely makes sense. It's just when you're in the moment as a parent, it can be very difficult, right? Because you feel like your job is to quite literally be this older, you know, older individual who's telling the younger individual what to do all the time. But 
in reality, we, we are just there to kind of like, you know, kind of show them, show them the way, but not necessarily, you know, telling them what to do every step of the way. But it's, it's just, it's a very difficult. <laughs> it is. And I think it's one of the, the most difficult things in, uh, about parenting that we, it's so much about how we feel and, and our, you know, errors and our, all we want to do is to protect our children. But the thing as well is our brain works that way. So if we start looking for all the bad things, it really, really wants to look for those things. So it so it gets even worse. So we are if so if we we if we know there's a risk at anything that we do, so our brain will put a, a light on that, and that will get bigger. So there's so many things that we should know about that. So we that so we won't all the time say, "Hey, be careful and don't do this, don't do that," because instead. We blossom when we are told that we're doing well. Yes. I wanted to ask you when we were talking about getting our children, you know, outdoors. And I feel like one of the most common questions I've had people ask me, because we we get our children out as much as, as we possibly can. We have four and I'm constantly telling them to go outside and, and they love it. They love it now. I mean, they don't even question me. They just go out and they find something to do. But you know, I, I know it can be difficult if that wasn't always what you did with them. So say your child is, you know, eight, nine, 10, and they, they didn't quite do that growing up. Is there anything that you would say is a great motivator to kind of get them outside? Because I know there's, there's some moms who, who want to get their kids out more, but they'll say, no, I don't really feel like it. I'd rather play inside. I don't really want to do that. Is there anything that you can say that would encourage them to get out there more? I think the first small step could be that doing something together with them because it can be difficult if we are just saying to them, go outside and, and do whatever you want. And if they haven't really been taught what to do because being creative or using your uh, imagination is something that must also be taught, you know, that being bored is okay because then you'll just find out what to mm -hmm. do. But today there's such a, a – most children, they they are used to being entertained all the time. Mm -hmm. So I would, uh, I would suggest, uh, like, coming up with an invitation that going out in the nature together. Mm -hmm. Because then you can also thicken your relationship or do something good for the relationship, which is something that I really want to stress. It's one of the most important things. And that would, that I'm sure that would be um, a great thing for even a 10 year, 10 year old or eight year old child that uh, mommy or daddy wants to do something with me. And well, it's outside today and maybe tomorrow as well. And sometimes it, it, it's inside, but Sometimes we go out and, you know, like uh, slowly, they get used to, you know, being outside and what to, to do when outside. And then you can start, you know, say you have to find out of, you know, doing whatever you want for the next 10 minutes because I just have to do whatever you're going to do mm -hmm. and leave them for 10 minutes uh, to begin with and see what they come up with instead of like, ah, oh, mommy, I don't know what to do. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's yeah. fine. You will figure out. I mean, that, that uh, is something that I would say because they will get used to, okay, so I have mm -hmm. to find out what to do myself. Mm, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you can start walking around and see what comes to you. Yeah, start with doing something together and then slowly, you know, step out of it if yeah. possible. Yeah. I think one of the, I mean, as long as you live in a place where this is possible, I know some people live in cities. I mean, of course, you could always mm. take a bus or, or drive. But hiking, I feel like, is one of the best ways to kind of get everybody out. And it even gives them a way to lead the family. Okay, you're going to be the leader this time. Why don't you show us which trail you want to take? And you're going to be the one that gets us through this trail today or, or what have you. And I feel like it gives them this big responsibility and they have to find their way 
I found that really helpful with our kids. And that you can also just find all these things along the way. You know, there's there's streams, there's rivers, there's lakes, there's trees, there's plants, there's all these different things that you can talk about while you're out there. And then I feel like once they kind of get used to being in nature like that, then they start to figure out how to like use nature as part of their play. And, Mm. you know, we're really blessed to be able to live more in the woods than not. And so when my kids go out, they they do typically kind of just bring out a bunch of branches and, and do things with stuff they find in the woods. But yeah, that's been, that's been helpful for us too. I did want to ask you, Now, I know that a typical day here in America is going to be very different than your typical day with the kids. So if you could just like tell us maybe what your typical day looks like when your girls were younger, maybe like in elementary school, like, you know, what your day looked like, like how you got ready, how you got them to school in the morning, what their day at school typically looked like. Was there a lot of like free play, open play? And then after school, did they typically do a lot of like extracurricular sports or did they do more free play after school? Like how, how did you typically have your days like set up with them when they were younger? So, well, I have always prioritized like as kind of set frame in the morning and in the evening as well. Uh, so I am very much aware of how they wake up, uh, that our morning shouldn't be stressed at all. I focus on the three first minutes when my children uh, wake up, well, when they woke up, when they were, like, they were little. Mm-hmm. So uh, making them getting a slow morning and uh, connecting with them uh, right away. And then um, I have a very, I don't think that stubborn is a nice word, but I <laughs> can't really think of the nicest word. word uh, but my youngest daughter, she's very oh, strong-willed, I would mm-hmm. say that. Yes. And so she was would sometimes, uh, you know, feel very strong that she wanted some certain clothes on. Mm-hmm. So I found out that a good way to um, to handle this was to uh, put out two sets of uh, clo- clothing uh, mm-hmm. in the evening, the, the night before, and then she could choose be- between those two. Uh, and then it, it worked absolutely well in the morning because she, has, she had herself taking ownership of what she wanted to, how she wanted to dress. Mm-hmm. Well, we ate, uh, we have always uh, been able to eat breakfast together. And I, when I was little, I was uh, still a teacher. So my husband, he had, uh, he, he put them to, uh, to school or kindergarten. Those places, either uh, kindergartens and schools in Denmark, uh, do focus a lot of, uh, a lot on uh, being outside, uh, being in nature. Well, especially in the smaller classes, but also in kindergarten. So their day would be from around 8 or 8.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I would pick them up around between 2 or 3 in the afternoon. I was fortunate that I could do that. And then we would walk home. uh, And I would always uh, make sure to connect with them because for me, um I have always tried to think about my children when uh, when they have been uh, when we have been apart as they have been at work somehow uh, as well so being apart from us um can very easily uh, lead tantrums if we don't uh, right away uh, make sure to connect with them so I so we sat around our say, a dining table when we came home and we got a little snack, some apples and something to drink, whatever. And then we and you know I made sure to again use it. It doesn't have to take long, but just some minutes or sometimes a half an hour or what what was required to connect with them, um, asking some questions, some open-ended questions, uh, how the day was, what happened, and you know, and yeah, just connecting. And then I was sure that their cup of mommy attention was full. So they could 
easily go outside in our garden to play or into their rooms or do what they wanted. And very often they also had friends because I was uh, picking them up a little bit early. We had friends with uh, back home, some of their friends with us. I maybe mm, twice a week they attended uh, some kind of sport or mm-hmm. some kind of uh, activity after school as well. Uh, I didn't want to put too much uh, pressure on them. Um, so um, they were, well, they did swim for, I think, eight years, both of them, because I think we live in a country where we are surrounded by water and mm-hmm. it's always good to to be able to to swim so uh, they did that and um, they have also attended volleyball and and dance so sorry about my voice um, <laughs> it's covid <laughs> so um, <laughs> oh, who doesn't have covid right now <laughs> yeah yeah oh, i just got it tested yesterday so it I, <laughs> uh, and uh, no and so we ate dinner together and i know that's not all families have been traveling a lot and very often parents do come home much later. But uh, in Denmark, it works a little bit different. So we ate together, uh, also all four of us. And then in the, in the evening, they would um, go to bed. And uh, mm-hmm. I was reading, uh, or my husband would read a fairy tale or stories for them and losing some time uh, with them. So that would be just an ordinary day. Mm-hmm. I love the, you know, you're emphasizing a lot of, you know, connection with your kids, which I love. I find it very difficult personally because I have four and, mm. you know, we, I, I'm back at work, but not as much obviously as my husband. And so a lot of the times it is me alone with the kids and I find it really hard to kind of give them one-on-one time, which I do mm-hmm. feel is incredibly important is there something that you can suggest for that like is there we we wanted to try to like sit down and look at our calendar and try to schedule out you know at least spending 20 minutes alone with each of our kids you know every few weeks or so you know with me and with my husband you know separately with each child but of course that is still still very difficult just with mm. you know work and all of that but do you think that connecting with them one-on-one can be similar to having, you know, that instance where you're sitting at the table and talking with each of them about their day, even though it's mommy with everybody, all four, mm. do you think that it's still as high quality as taking that, you know, 20 minutes with them one-on-one? I just would love to be able to do that. It's just very difficult, obviously, especially in the age range that I'm in right now. Yeah, I know. No, I don't think it's necessary to be a one-on-one. That is not what I uh, am aiming for. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, we have this Danish word, hygge, which is a big part of why Denmark has been voted as one of the happiest countries in the world for more than 40 years. So, no, I wouldn't be worried at all because I think that being a, a big family uh, there's much love and uh, energy uh, surrounding you. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be um, feel feel bad about not connecting and having twenty minutes with each of your children each day. Not at all. I think it's much about the energy mm-hmm. that arises uh, uh, when you are together. If it's uh, negative, so uh, if you have a negative energy or the a bad surrounding it does it really do something kind of destructive in mm-hmm. the long run so i think it's very much about the energy the positive energy that you put into being together or mm-hmm. the energy in the house and in where you live in the family and being a part of a group you know you feeling connected to others gives meaning and purpose mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. all of our lives so even though we can fully appreciate the individual, everyone. But I think that the interaction and support of others, that makes us feel whole as as a person uh, better. 
So I I would the only thing that I would be aware of is if there's a need for assistance or support or extra care, I would make sure that I would uh, how do how do say that that I would be present when it's required. And sometimes if we're stressed, it can be very difficult to be present and, and actually listen and be aware of what is going on. So I would I would uh, remind myself to be conscious, uh, aware of being in the now. Maybe be, maybe if it's easier, a set time uh, every day that now I am aware and I am av- available if anyone needs a special uh, talk or a hug from me or my full attention. But the thing is that children are different. So um, you might have a, a child that uh, would confess or uh, need intimacy uh, at, at night uh, mm-hmm. before going to bed or maybe another one in the afternoon. So it depends on the child as well and their need. And I would, as a mother, as a parent, I would make sure that I understand and that I know my children uh, well enough to to spot if they are out of balance or if there's some kind of tense energy, whatever, so I can attend them. Yeah, I I love all of that. I can definitely tell, especially as you mentioned before with, with your, I think you said it was your youngest, can be a little bit more independent. <laughs> and so with her, I find that she, even though she challenges me way more than my other kids and she's much more, she wants to be much more independent than her age really allows, she's the one that also I feel needs more one-on-one attention in order to not act out as much. I have found that it's it's funny because it's almost counterintuitive because she wants to do everything on her own and she she does do everything on her own and then she also is the one that also needs that extra attention. And I don't even know if she realizes it, you know. I uh, I wanted to briefly talk to you about I felt everything in the book is is so beautifully written and I like I said I I think that everything can be applied so easily to our everyday life. But I really liked the section on the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset because, you know, over the years in America, I don't know if they do this in other places as well, but, you know, they, they've started giving out participation trophies. They've started, you know, just really giving our kids all of this like extra praise, even if they weren't you know, the best behaved or the the greatest player on the field or what have you. And so I really loved this section of the book where you talk about the there's all this research to support, you know, this fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. I I wanted mm-hmm. to see if you wouldn't mind kind of just touching on on both of those for us. I can do that just a little bit. Uh, a fixed mindset is that uh, that you already that um, oh, I'm so bad at I'm much better at writing, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's that your mind is set somehow that the, that you don't have to, to grow because you're already, it is already set. The, um, you must correct me if I'm um, using the wrong word, but it's more that, uh, that a growth mindset means that you are able to, to learn and grow and continue to grow and uh, and that you find satisfaction in the journey the the in between uh, the goal and and the the starting point mm-hmm. so that you are able continuously to to grow and develop and it's not a fixed something fixed but that there's always opportunities for you to to uh, to develop whereas uh, a fixed mindset is more that yeah it's fixed that you have the potential you have like a fixed potential mm-hmm. and it stops and, there uh, you can't yeah, yeah exactly you can't really change that yeah and 
you kind of compared it with, you know, I forget exactly what the example was, but basically, you know, if one child has this, this fixed mindset, they'll be worried, you know, that they'll let, um, you know, their parent down or, or somebody they're trying to impress, they won't choose that harder route because they want to be able to, to impress you with the easier, you know, the easier way of doing things. Whereas opposed to the growth mindset child who will choose something more challenging because they enjoy the journey of the challenge and, oh, I think Mm -hmm. I can do this and the confidence is higher. And that I just, I just think that's so wonderful because my kids would, would do that. They would bring me something they made, whether it was, I don't know, a picture or something with Play-Doh or, you know, whatever it was. And I would be like, wow, that's awesome. Great job. And, you know, it's just things that as a parent, you say them, you have, unless you're sitting down and reading this and actually thinking about it, you're like, oh, that makes much more sense uh-huh. to, to actually ask the child to describe, you know, what it is they made and why they uh-huh. used the colors they used and, and, oh, what's this? And, oh, I bet if you could even build this bigger to make a, put them in a castle and have uh-huh. this and, and kind of like imagine their way through even making it a, a bigger picture or or what have you will kind of just make their brains work a lot more and build their confidence into making something even greater. And so I just, yeah, I, I really, really loved that. And it's so interesting because the other, so last night I sat down with your book and I was writing some notes and my husband brought over a piece of paper that was in the kitchen. And I kid you not, I like can't even make this up. It's, it's actually very bizarre. Things that happen in life. You're you're like, what? This is so bizarre. So she had two columns. Okay. So she's, she's eight. She's in second grade. She had two columns and one said fixed mindset and one said growth mindset. And I was on that chat. I was reviewing the book and I was on that chapter. That was the page I was on. And he said, Oh, Olivia made this the other day while you were at work. And so I'm looking at it and I was like, where did you learn this? And she's like, oh. And so it had two columns and it had like examples of each. Like it had examples of what a fixed mindset would look like. And it had examples of what a growth mindset would look like. And I just started laughing. I was like, how is this like that? You just did this the other day and I'm just reviewing this. Anyways, it was just one of those things where like, everything aligns and it's just like so cool. And I was like, she goes, Oh, I'm learning that in, in school right now. And I, I, that made me really, I mean, I was excited because I was like, you're learning this in school. This is amazing. Absolutely. Isn't that so cool? It is. It is. Yeah. And I, I was, uh, I was talking with, with some uh, educators, I think it was also from the States. uh, And they told me that uh, a lot of students you know, when they're going to exams, uh, graduating, they are not, they're, they're actually not really interested in understanding their learning. They're mm-hmm. just trying to get to get some kind of uh, key points to mm-hmm. do, to answer correctly. So they will get a, a high, high score. Mm-hmm. So I, I found it very interesting because, you know, we put a lot of effort into why, to asking why, why is this important? Mm-hmm. You know, the history teaching and, uh, you know, why are we doing as we're doing? Why are we learning? Why are we teaching what we teach? You know, all the time mm-hmm. we were asking kids about the relevance of this teaching. So they are kind of putting it into their own life, understanding you know, the bigger picture. And mm-hmm. I was just amazed that they were telling me that it, it isn't, well, it's much more a fixed mindset because you're not learning to to get vi- mm-hmm. wiser, wiser mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but you're learning to get a high score. Right. I don't know yeah. if it's nonsense I'm saying. I was no, just... No, 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 it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's also the, uh, very um, different. Yeah. Okay, let's see. I have just a few questions I want to ask you that I had received from my community. Do you have like five more minutes? Absolutely. Okay, perfect. So I would love to hear your answer for this. So obviously, we had mentioned, you know, there's just a lot of technology in the world that our kids are now being brought up in. And while I do think it's 
it is very important for us to show them, you know, how specifically to use these in a in a way that won't that will help complement their lives, but not, you know, make it so that they're like reliant on it. So how do you specifically feel that like social media and phones are affecting our kids? And how did you approach that with your own girls? I know actually it's kind of perfect because they're kind of in that age where I feel like phone and social media use were really skyrocketing in the past couple of years. And how did you handle that with, with your own, with your own children? Well, first of all, um, I, I think it's so, I don't think that, well, I don't believe in fighting against society's, you know, discourses because devices and tablets and social media is here right now. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's, it's problematic. I see a lot of lonely children, lonely adolescents in my private consultation. Mm-hmm. And I, well, my Children has have also experienced uh, the the bad sides of social media themselves. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to to be unkind, and well, I think that we haven't really seen the long long lasting consequences yet because we have grown up with them mm-hmm. together with them. Uh, so, I mean. I have we I have handled it this way so my children they weren't allowed to be on any social media until they were well they grew up with it so it wasn't that popular uh, in the beginning but I think this started around 10 12 10 years old something like that just a little bit and they are never allowed to have any of their phones or tablets uh, uh, in their room at night. Uh, well, now it's different, but when they were children. And uh, we have talked a lot about the pros and cons mm-hmm. because I, I can also see there are good good stuff, uh, good things for them and also very educational things as well. I have a very close connection with my children. So therefore, they tell me and my husband about... Uh, what's going on and also they come to us if there have been uh, bad things going on and I think that that is what we should do we should stay close to them and not not crossing their boundaries but Mm -hmm. more than more educating them in what to be aware of Mm -hmm. and how to respond uh, if anyone is reaching out to them and uh, uh, you know, educating them, them, you don't really know who's on the other side and all those things that um, that is a part of their life because it is uh, so, so we can't take it away from them. Uh, but I would, of course, always be aware if uh, a child, uh, if, if my or if your child is with, withdrawing from things, you know, mm-hmm. getting more insecure, anxious, nervous, because that can be a sign of too much gaming or online activity mm-hmm. or other, you know, bad things going on. And those symptoms are, yeah, they, they are often associated with too much screen time. So I think it's uh, important to react and change habits if, if that happens uh, and always prioritize prioritize a, a good communication, mm-hmm. uh, being open and honest. And if they are reaching out to you and you find it like something that you would say, how can you do that? And mm-hmm. don't do that. And, you know, I would never do that. I would always make sure to embrace them and be thankful that they are actually coming to me mm-hmm. with their worries or, mm-hmm problems or insecurities or uh, if they see that something are behaving badly or whatever it is. So I would always say be very careful of how I react because, you know, there are, there are times where we can react with our partner and, and have adult talks about what's going on and how should we uh, handle this and then there are also talks that we have with our children where we are they are adult 
that they can lean on to. So if online activity, social media is preventing your child from living the life you want them to live, there's reason to be worried. And then set up some, you know, some limits um, on, on based on your values and how you want them to use their spare time. And then I would like always really try to uh, teach them to meet face-to-face with people because it's so easy to unfriend someone today being uh, online. Um, so I think it's much more developing and much healthier for them to meet one by one or fa- uh, in, um, in real life and mm-hmm. uh, connecting with uh, real friends doing something together i think it's it it reaches a deeper level that uh, is proven to be the healthiest for yeah, well all of us but also for our children so i know it can be a very challenge a challenge challenge in this hectic everyday schedule which we live all of us so maybe sometimes it's easier you know not to to go in and actually take the discussion or take the talk with them mm-hmm. because we're tired too but i think it's uh, we should and i think it's more than worth it yeah yeah no i love that and i do like how you you keep reemphasizing you know the connection with your child and making sure that they feel comfortable with anything they're they're telling you and something that i've kind of learned throughout parenting and the help of the book and and, and other things is that you can kind of even build that foundation when they're younger, when they come to you, um, when they say, oh, you know, I, I spilled um, Cheerios all over the floor or there's I accidentally knocked over a pot or something. And and just how you're reacting to that is, you know, going to help them as they grow older, telling you things that really, really do matter and that are scary things to tell you. And the way that you handle the little things when they're smaller, I feel like does help as they get older, because, you know, if you're saying, you know, oh my gosh, why did you do that? And, and kind of have this approach as to, you know, like you did something really wrong. Well, they came and told you. And so that for me is something I've changed along the way, because of course, you know, I've got a very busy life, things going on here. And, and then one of the kids, you know, of course, when, when you're probably in the, right in the middle of doing something, you know, they, something knocks over, it breaks, it shatters. And you're like, ah, you know, and, how you're reacting to that, I I do feel is is a good building block as to how they will respond to you, you know, in the future when they're wanting to tell you something that might be a lot more something, you know, that's something that's really important that they that they need to tell you, and they might not tell you because of the way that you've kind of reacted in the past to littler things. So that's exactly. yeah, that's like something I I really try to work on all the time because. It can be hard and I want my kids to be able to come to me for anything and everything, especially as they grow older, you know, and I feel like having that, that comfort person that you always know that you can go to like with anything and they won't be mad at you is so important, you know, and especially with, you know, the internet and things that go on on there. I agree with you. I think that one of the, a little challenge for many parents today, it's only my own study mm-hmm. so uh, but uh, i think that the parents sometimes misunderstand the concept at, at being you know at eye level and not setting boundaries no they are too afraid of setting boundaries uh, so they put over their responsibility of uh, you know what do you think uh, what should we eat what where should we go on holiday you know giving them the responsibility of many daily course daily things to yeah to do and one thing i well i um i see is that it's it makes uh, children confused and uh, i think our responsibility as a parent is to focus on the relationship and we only focus on the relationship by being an authority but not mm. you know not not a strict one but being one they can lean on that is what we are we are um, building like building blocks from their little to well i just 
wrote this about the book about teenagers. So we're building up the confidence, the trust, the relationship, everything that makes them want to lean onto us and feel safe. And we and they can only feel safe if we if we show them that we can carry the responsibility of being a parent. You know, and that, setting some some clear boundaries, setting some some rules, having uh, some values that we treasure in the family, that we that we lean on to how we behave, how we act in the family towards each other, etc. And I think that is, if we're not, if we're giving away too much responsibility, we are doing our children a disservice. And, and we are also, I, I don't know if it's contradicting, no, but we also, we're, we're not growing the relationship that way and i think uh, that's really really important for me always respecting my children and being at eye level with them but still carrying the responsibility and being their their foundation to lean on uh, to uh, all the time but all the time uh, meeting them with respect so they will feel acknowledged and know that they matter, uh, that I see them for who they are and that I love them for who they are. And then I know they will feel that they matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the cardinal sense of happiness, I'm sure, because meaningful relationships are, in my opinion, what makes life worth living. So, so do, you know, doing some traditions based on your family values with a lot of togetherness is just a way to to make this happen. Well, that's basically the definition of Hugo, right? Togetherness and all of that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. So I think that's the perfect way to end it. I wanted to mention a few things. I can't remember if I mentioned your new book that will be coming out. I think I mentioned it before we started chatting. So you're working on a book that's going to be essentially the sequel to The Danish Way of Parenting, but it's going to hone in on raising teenagers, which I am personally really excited for. And that's in its last phase. So we can stay tuned for that. And you also have an online course, right? On at mother.com. And that will give you lots of tips and tricks and basically help you raise your children in the Danish way. So is there anything else you wanted to mention that you're working on or anything, Eben? Uh, I think hug your child. I mean, there's this saying, uh, study that says that we need four hugs a day for survival <laughs> and we need eight hugs a day for maintain- maintenance and we need 12 hugs for a day for growth and I, I just love that as it is such a great reminder of how essential deep relationships are so that would be my my last things to add for yeah, today. I love that yes. I love that I had two actually quick, quick questions I ask all of my guests. Mm-hmm. So the first one I w- will ask you is if you could give one piece of advice to a mother, what would it be? It can be about anything. Well, I would always say uh, focus on the connection, mm-hmm. on the relationship. Yeah. Uh, and if I can give a, a second one, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be, let me see, how can I say, uh, that would be, Focus on your own inner balance Mm -hmm. because we bring so much with us that we pass on to our children. And if we come from a balanced place, we have a much, it's much easier for us to, to meet our children where they are Mm. and, and give them a feeling of being loved for who they truly are. I love that. And the last is, if you could make one meal for your family that everybody would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Well, we eat all kinds of foods and and everyone eats it. I would uh, make um, a really, really wonderful salad, I think, with every good stuff in it. I don't have any specific meals that where every one would eat but uh, when my children were 
younger, I made sure not to put all in in one meal, but I I split it up. So you you know I had some cucumbers and some carrots and some you know uh, separately because they would hate when they were little to eat uh, food that was all mixed together. So <laughs> you were uh, to make them to the eat. Bar. Oh, this is like the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I fi- I just found out it's much easier if I I, I put them on the. Uh, on the table uh, separately and then they would just pick them and eat everything uh, that was much easier and now they are not at all picky eaters not at all they eat everything and uh, I would also uh, invite them to uh, to participate in the uh, creating and making some dinner some food that also helps yeah yeah I think I need to switch up what I'm doing. So, so I have an eight, six, four and one year old, my eight year old, I don't know what I did. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't anything I did. It's probably just who she is and how she is, but she eats everything that I make. And she's like, this is delicious mom. And honestly, if it wasn't for her, I'm not sure I would survive dinner time because she's like my cheerleader and she'll be like, this is the best dinner ever. And everybody else is not eating. So (laughs) I do think it has everything to do with the fact, though, that it's like, for example, last night I made this amazing meal. I've made it before. It's so good. It's like this orzo pasta with this like creamy sauce with chicken and spinach and uh, sun-dried tomatoes. Anyways, it's delicious. And my oldest thinks it's delicious. My husband thinks it's delicious. And then my six and four-year-old are like, I am not eating that. But I'm for sure, I'm for certain that if it was all separate, they would eat it. It's just a matter of like having to, it's basically like you're making two different meals sometimes because of how the meal is made, because then you have to kind of separate everything to make sure that, you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, it's just like this extra step that I'm like so tired that I'm like, oh, I don't know what I want to, but I do feel like it would probably solve all of my dinnertime problems. (laughs) No, I know it's so difficult. And I, and I, I don't think, you know, that I know of families as well who make, four kind of different meals uh, at dinner because uh, one eats only certain things and the mm. other one another things and I don't think that we should do that but no. I think it's I always uh, peel some um, uh, some carrots and just chop them in in pieces and if you don't if if my children they didn't want to eat what's what was on the table they would always eat a lot of you know uh, those carrots and if it if they didn't feel full, they would eat some oats. So, uh, but I mean, uh, dinner time is sensitive. Uh, so you know, and again, the atmosphere is important because having girls, I don't, I think it's even more uh, sensitive. But I think that it's important not to no no, don't eat that much. Eat this and eat that instead of. And why don't you ever and you know let them have peace while eating and just make sure to to put some carrots or cucumbers whatever you ha- what you have on the table as well as an alternative uh, and and let them choose themselves mm-hmm. and one thing i always did as well is that they i didn't put uh, i didn't i put i didn't take the spoon and gave them food i wanted them to take it themselves mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean yeah they so, serve themselves yeah they served yes exactly mm-hmm. so they did that uh, themselves because then again they could choose how much they wanted to eat and uh, fair enough if they it's not always they were very hungry so they didn't eat that much and sometimes they would eat you know a little more but i think it's best where if we can you know leave them a little bit on their own and uh, and focus on again having a, a good time together but it's not easy. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my husband and I, are, we really believe in, in at least one meal together. But right now, since the kids are little and we're focusing on dinner, you know, we really love to have them at the table and be able to to ta- talk with them about their day and, you know, what was their favorite mm-hmm. thing about the day? What was, you know, their least favorite to try to talk to them all at once. But sometimes it's just the whole time we're trying to like rally them together. Some, some left to go in the playroom, one left to go over here and then they don't like it. So they're pushing it this way. So it's yeah, like Mm -hmm. you said, it can be difficult, but I do think that, 
maybe I'm just going to try to separate the food and just see how it goes for a couple of days and have them serve themselves yeah. and just see because maybe they'll want to actually sit there as opposed to <laughs> running all around. <laughs> I, yeah, I, but I do think that if we stick to being, you know, uh, having a healthy standard and uh, we just stick to it, uh, for the many many years mm-hmm. uh, we had uh, we had them at home, uh, they will. I see now that my young adult she she moved she's moved away and she's having her own place, and I could see how she's doing. How everything that I uh, have taught her, just not maybe not like visually. Well, visually, uh, what we ate. So she's bringing all of this with her right mm-hmm. now. So I think it will if we keep, you know, showing them the the what we prefer mm-hmm. and what we serve for them, and how we sit around the table and how we try to to talk together, and you know, if we just stick to that instead of you know feeling insecure if we're doing it the right way, they will bring that with them uh, eventually. Yes. Yes, I'm excited for that. <laughs> I'm excited to see it kind of come to fruition. <laughs> it's so hard when they're smaller. My one of my one of my good friends always tells me that she has a she has five kids now. The oldest is 17 and she tells me that, you know, the teenage years have been her favorite because she's seen all of her hard work from, you know, the second they were born all the way up until now, you know, they're in their teens and she's like, "I can see it. I can see all those times I did this, you know, for years and years and years and how it's positively affected them. And so it's pretty cool. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with her totally. I mean, they're practicing life then. And that is beautiful to to witness. I mean, it's it's really, really amazing. And I am so touched very often because I, I'm just sitting back and I'm watching them like being young adults practicing all the things that we have taught them and i mean it's like wow mm, so cool good stuff awaiting yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. awesome <laughs> well thank you so much for taking the time out even i hope that you recover very quickly from covid and that it's uneventful for you over there yeah i will hopefully uh, and thank you so m- really really from my heart thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and for all the very great and wonderful questions oh yes it was a pleasure to talk with you you too take care thank you so much thank you so much for hanging out with us today all resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.